You're listening to The Semi-Failed Writer. This is a show about my life experiences, my love for entertainment, and of course, my failures. Let's dance. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 4 of The Semi-Failed Writer. I'm your host, Leticia, The Semi-Failed Writer. I feel like two weeks has gone by really, really slow. It seems like forever that I have last spoken to all of you. Um, So let me just do like a quick recap of things that have been going on in my life, in case you're interested. Um, It's more for me than for you, but here we go. Uh, The Oscars were a week ago. Did I watch? No. It actually has been 10 straight years that I have not watched the awards ceremony. You'd think I would watch because it's dealing with films and, you know, all the awards that come with it and I would care about it. But um, I don't know. I can't watch it anymore. I, I get tired of like all the stuff that they bloat the show with, with the montages and some of the performances and the speeches. I just don't care much for all of it. But if you invited me, I would go. If I got nominated, I would absolutely go to the awards ceremony. So um, it's not all terrible. It just, I find better uses for my three hours at time. But congratulations to Parasite, man. That was surprising. I got to watch it. My husband and I, believe it or not, we have birthdays close together. We're, our birthdays are about four days apart. So I actually went out of town this weekend We just got back today, had a really good time. Uh, We went to San Diego and most of the trips that we take now, I mean, we try to do some attraction type of stuff, but it's mostly revolving around food and drink. Is it possible to have too much beer and not enough beer at the same time? Um, Because we hit up a few places. We barely made a dent into the beer scene there, but some of the stuff we had was pretty good. But now I have to hit the reset button starting tomorrow. I was dealing with some weird emotions the last few days. It was hard to focus on the trip that I was taking because some things popped up that I was and was not expecting. I had two good friends of mine. They uh, just gave birth to a baby boy, which is incredible. Um, I haven't, I have yet to meet the little one, but I'm looking so forward to that. At the same time though, I also found out that my dad had to go to surgery. And as far as I know, it was a normal procedure. It gets done all the time, but you always worry about complications and you just hope everything goes smoothly. And it did. I mean, procedure went well, he's recovering right now. And uh, I know my mom posted some stuff on Facebook and so to the friends and family, Uh, Thank you guys for your prayers, for your well wishes, Um, and thanks for all of you, you know, helping out my mom and just offering to help her out with whatever she needed, because she's been by my dad's side pretty much the entire time, um, making sure that, you know, he's being taken care of. So that was my recap for you. Today, we're going to start a segment called Dumb Film Debate. I call it dumb for two reasons. First, we all have debates about film. 
who's the greatest villain of all cinema. Is Godfather 2 better than the first Godfather? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Well, I'm not having those kinds of debates. I'm debating stuff other people could not care less about. And second, I'm going to be debating both sides. It would make more sense to have somebody else to argue one side, like my husband could contribute to this, but for today, I'm, I'm not going to put him through this. I don't think he was interested in watching Center Stage, so whatever. I thought that since it was our birthdays this weekend, I would do a film debate about the best birthday film. But I had a hard time finding anything that could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with 16 Candles. You couldn't believe how hard it was to find another quality film that centers around a birthday. If you know of one, please let me know at semifieldwriter at gmail.com. In this episode, we're going to debate a topic that was the inspiration behind this segment, and that is the best ballet film. In the Red Corner, released in the year 2000, featuring some of the best dancers in the world, directed by Sir Nicholas Hittner, famed theater director, it's Center Stage. And Fighting in the Blue Corner, straight out of the year 2010, starring Natalie Portman, directed by Darren Aronofsky, nominated for five Academy Awards, it's Black Swan. Here's how it works. I'll do opening statements for each film, and then we're going to have seven rounds, each consisting of a different aspect of the film. I will award a point after each round, and the film with the most points wins. This is a work in progress, but I think this will be a good start. Okay, first up, here is my opening statement for Center Stage. Ladies and gentlemen, when you think of ballet, what are your first words that come to mind? Are they Tchaikovsky, pointy toes, or maybe outdated and boring? Ballet is a graceful and wonderful dance, and it involves a lot of dedication. But it seems as though it is appealing only to an older, more affluent population. In the next half hour or so, I'll argue that Center Stage is the best of the ballet films because it aims to change our thinking about ballet, to bring ballet into a more modern era that will appeal to the youth. The soundtrack is full of catchy pop music, the dancers are sexy, and the drama is relatable. These aspiring dancers, they're just like us. They battle eating disorders, develop romantic feelings for each other, and they clash with authority figures. And the overall lesson in this film is simple. Dancing is life, but it is not the only thing in life. All right, now it's time to talk about Black Swan. Here are my opening statements for that. My fellow Americans, to be the best at anything, it takes years of practice, and the hope is that all of the hard work pays off and gets the attention of the people that matter. But in the case of Black Swan, that drive to become the best can be a dangerous thing. This film goes inside the mind of a young dancer that tries to gain favor from the artistic director, silence the opinions of an overprotective mother, and eliminate the threat of another dancer. And all of that pressure manifests itself in hallucinations that make it difficult for her to figure out what is real and what is fantasy. This film couldn't have been successful without an accomplished director like Aronofsky and an all-star cast, particularly Natalie Portman. Black Swan is a terrific cautionary tale about the strife for perfection, and it couldn't have been told in a better medium than ballet. Let's start with round one. 
The first round is going to focus on story. So Center Stage has an ensemble cast and therefore consists of multiple storylines. You have Jody, the de facto lead, who is told she doesn't have the skills to make it in the American Ballet Company. There's street smart Eva, who has a hard time with structure and accepting any constructive criticism. Maureen is a gifted dancer but soon discovers that this is someone else's dream and not hers. There's also Cooper, who butts heads with his ex-girlfriend and her new husband, the director of the company. Did I get them all? Anyway, the film goes back and forth between all of these stories and everything comes to a head at the end of your showcase. And I would say that all of these stories have a satisfying resolution. With the exception of Cooper, the other leads all had the same objective, to get a spot in the prestigious ABC. But they did some growing up and developed a better idea of what they wanted in life, whether or not it included the ABC. That's what's most important. They all grew up. In Black Swan, there's only one story. It's the only story that matters. Nina is chosen to play the lead in the upcoming production of Swan Lake. She's perfect for the White Swan, but lacks the passion and seduction that is required for the black swan. She has complete tunnel vision and never gives herself the chance to think that there's a whole world outside of ballet. The more she rehearses and the more she feels the threat of someone else taking the role she works so hard for, the more she drives herself into madness. And once she realizes how obsessed she has become and what it's going to cost her, she accepts it and puts on the sh performance of a lifetime. In her words, it was perfect. It's not a happy story by any means, but it's not any less interesting. So who wins for best story? Is it the film that follows multiple characters with relatable challenges? Or is it the film that has only one story about an isolated individual going through an extreme set of circumstances? I believe Black Swan wins this round. I think audiences are more interested in crazy. They want to see how far and how hard someone will fall. Round two. Round two is about dialogue. Let's start with Black Swan first this time. You know, Nina doesn't speak as much and expresses herself more in her emotions and in her innate dancing, so that means that when she does speak, it should mean something. Okay, fine. But Thomas and Lily are more interesting because of how they talk. Let's focus on Thomas specifically because he has the best dialogue in the film. He gives great instructions to his dancers. It's straightforward, but also colorful. Even if he's telling Nina to masturbate as part of a homework assignment, even if he asks a male dancer if he'd bang Nina, Thomas is not saying this to be a pervert. He is making valid points with everything he says. Wouldn't you want a mentor like that that's a little unconventional? In center stage, all the young dancers are about 18, 19 years old. They talk like normal people. I say that as a compliment, and here's why. You ever play the video game Life is Strange? It's about a young girl who has the ability to rewind time. You know, the plot doesn't matter, but the game is set at a high school and a majority of the characters are in high school. The worst part of that game is the dialogue. I cringe thinking about it. It's bad because the developers were trying too hard they put in dialogue thinking that that's how teenagers actually talked. They thought the kids at that age always gave each other dumb nicknames and spoken slang all the time. The writer for Center Stage wasn't trying too hard. The characters are not having the most enlightening conversations, but at least they don't sound immature and fake. 
big question here. Do you go with the film with the quotable character or do you go with the film where all the characters speak clearly and appropriately? The point goes to center stage because, well, Black Swan relied on dialogue less. On to round three. Round three is going to focus on the characters. There are several archetypes in center stage, and again, they are relatable. I actually found a blog that listed all the archetypes to better explain my argument here. Shout out to ScreenCraft. I would call Jody an underdog. Cooper is a bad boy. Charlie is a boy next door. Ava is a troubled teen. Maureen's mother is a shrew. And Juliet is a mentor. When I list these out, I think you will have a clear picture of what these characters are like. There's no question as to the role they play. No second guessing what their motivations are. And even though there are several characters to follow, I doubt you would have a hard time keeping track of who is who. In Black Swan, these characters are more complicated. Nina is to dance as both the black and the white swan. But as you know, the metaphor is about her life. As a white swan, she talks like a little girl. She's timid and scared. As a black swan, she removes her inhibitions. She uses trickery on her own mind. She is both the protagonist and antagonist. Beth, the former star, she's so tortured. You knew she had her prime and loved it, which made it more painful to see her fall from grace so quickly. Lily was the villain that Nina created in her head. But what I liked about Lily is that she never did anything to sabotage Nina. She's not as disciplined, but she was friendly and she showed concern for Nina, even going out of her way to praise her for her dancing. What I'm trying to say is these characters in Black Swan surprised me in a good way. So better characters, simple archetypes or conventional dancers? There are better characters in Black Swan. And unfortunately, center stage doesn't have a good villain. Maybe Maureen's mom fit the role the best, but I think Jonathan Director was supposed to be that person. All the dancers talk crap about him, but after rewatching this, I never got the impression that he was a really bad dude, even when he breaks Jody's spirit and forces a dancer to go home because she's too fat. I do have two questions about the characters, though. We were led to believe the dancers in center stage were coming right out of high school, right? If so, how were they able to buy bottomless margaritas and tequila shots at a salsa club? Did all of them just happen to have a fake ID? And my question for Black Swan, was Nina's mom real? Something about her seemed like she was so, she was like a figment of uh, her imagination because of her creepy paintings and using scissors to clip fingernails. Get a regular clipper, you weirdo. Round four. Round four is cast and crew. This is about the actors and the directors that ran the show. The five major cast members of Black Swan are all established actors. Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis probably had the toughest jobs because they had to do intensive training to look like ballerinas. They weren't just taking dance lessons. I read that they worked out five hours a day every single day for six months. They reduced their calorie intake and lost weight on their already small frames. They both had stunt doubles when it came to some of the dancing, but between that and their own dancing, the performances looked seamless. We all know how wonderful Natalie Portman was in this film, but I'd also say this was Mila Kunis' best performance. She had the right amount of attitude and mystery and sex appeal, and of course she was far less annoying than Jackie on The 70s Show. 
And all I need to do to argue for Darren Aronofsky is to list some of his best films. They include Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, The Wrestler. I never saw Mother, but I hear that one is weird. But his strength was to show the surreal, to imagine how distorted the world looks like in the mind of a person that's not all there. Most of the people cast for center stage were professional dancers. It was clear that they were hired for their dancing because so much of the film showcases their craft. But I want to bring up one individual that had her breakthrough in this film, and that is Zoe Saldana. This was her first feature film, and she had the signs of being a superstar early on. She had the look, she had the presence, and now she's made a career out of playing the same person in every film. She starts off headstrong and intimidating, and eventually lets her guard down and shows she can be likable too. Tell me I'm wrong. I almost forgot Peter Gallagher was also in this film. I have looked him for a long time, but he's been popping up in my favorite shows as of late, and he is quite charming. Check him out on Grace and Frankie when you get a chance. Earlier in the show, I called the director of Center Stage Sir Nicholas Hinter. Yes, he was knighted. He's not as well known for his films, but Sir Nicholas is huge in theater and opera communities. He knows how to put on a show on stage, and he proved that again by displaying all these wonderful dance recitals in the film. So it really comes down to this. Is it better to have actors hired to dance or dancers hired to act? Black Swan gets this round easy. All I have to say is Natalie Portman won an Oscar for this, but I'll go even further. Let's say you're casting for the role of a magician, and it's between someone who's an okay actor with magic experience and someone who can act well but doesn't know how to pull a rabbit out of a hat. If you pick the first guy, you might be disappointed with the final product. I get nervous when you pick the first guy. You can train someone for that role, and you can fake a lot of things to make him look like a professional magician but you can't fake the acting. This is what happened with Center Stage. For the most part, their acting wasn't terrible, but it wasn't acceptable. It's around five, y'all. In this round, we're gonna talk about the music. Let me tell you a story. Back in college, I was in concert band, and one weekend we did a tour over in Ohio, Michigan, or some other Midwest location. Three of us stayed with this host family overnight, and in the evening we needed something to do, so someone suggested we watch Center Stage. This is my very first time watching it, and the thing I remembered the most from that first viewing was the soundtrack. You had Michael Jackson, Mandy Moore, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Jamiroquai. I remember making a comment that I really liked the music in the film. And the next morning before we left, the host family gave us a little gift. One of the kids had the center stage soundtrack and burned a copy for each of us. I'm pretty sure I still have that copy. It's in storage somewhere. But all these guys are my jam back in the day. I loved Mandy Moore's early work, and I loved Canned Heat before it showed up on Napoleon Dynamite. In my opinion, the music was probably the best thing to come out of this movie. Most of the soundtrack to Black Swan is either from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake or music adapted from Swan Lake. And the music was used effectively. The music was delicate when Nina was her innocent self. The music returned ominous once her life was imbalanced. And on opening night, Swan Lake just fit with every moment Nina was on and off the stage. The best part of the film was the final scene. Nina was dying, yes, but to her that was less important than the performance she just gave. 
While she's reveling in her triumph, you have the horns blasting at the loudest volume possible. We also need to acknowledge that the Chemical Brothers were also featured in this film. It was when Nina was rolling at the dance club with Lily. I appreciated that. So who wins here? The pop music or Tchaikovsky? Center stage wins for best music, not even close. And I'm still upset that the Cambros were not included in the official Black Swan soundtrack. Round six. This is the part where I mentioned that I spent way too much time putting together this episode. I did my initial research by rewatching both movies, but I spent a lot of time writing my notes. And by the time I got to round six, I was feeling a little burnt out. So this one's going to be short and sweet. Round six deals with the production of the film. It's basically everything we haven't covered yet. One of the things I like about Black Swan is the camera work. The camera's not steady, and it gets you close to everything that Nina sees or is doing. We don't need wide shots of the city or rehearsal space because this movie is about Nina and her isolation. What's interesting, too, is the setting. She's always going between home and the theater, her safe spaces, but everything in between is seedy. Come to think of it, even her safe spaces are a little eerie. Center stage focuses on the dance. This movie also served as a, a love letter to New York City, showing how eclectic the city is. Scenes are set at a nightclub, a bowling alley, a laid-back dance studio, and even on a boat. So who wins round six? Good camera work and setting, or the big dancing productions? I will go with the dancing on the stage. We are tied now. Round seven. This is it. We're finishing off this dumb debate with round seven, which is legacy. How have these films aged? The goal of Center Stage was to make dancing, particularly ballet, cool. After this film came out, I think that the industry discovered that there was an audience for this, a younger audience. Center Stage alone came out with two sequels. You had other franchises, like You Got Served and Step Up, which started in 2004 and 2006, respectively. A reality show also came out, So You Think You Can Dance. If you had beautiful people and great dancing come together, you're going to have a hit. In Black Swan, the legacy falls more on the two individuals who contributed most to this film. Aronofsky got his first Academy Award nomination for Best Director. If he hadn't already established himself as one of the greatest contemporary auteurs, then this film confirmed it. Natalie Portman had been in many great films, but her role in Black Swan was her tour de force. She got her first Academy Award. She even got a family out of making this film. She was making googly eyes at one of the choreographers, even though he was in a relationship at the time. Homewrecker. Well, it all worked out, though. Natalie married this choreographer. She has two children with him. And I think the ex-girlfriend married as well. So who wins? A film that promoted dance to a younger audience or cemented the legacy of a director and an actress? This point goes to Black Swan. One thing I just want to add here. For the past few years, Natalie Portman has called out award ceremonies for ignoring the achievements of female directors. I think others have already sent this message, but I'll say it as well. At this point, she needs to take it a step further. Going forward, she needs to either work with female directors or direct one herself. All right, this fight is over. Black Swan, the winner. I don't think that was ever in question, but what do you think? Send over your comments to semifailwriter at gmail.com. 
A reminder that I also have a blog, semifailwriter.com. Please go check it out. That's all I have for today. You guys have yourselves a lovely two weeks, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.